Our scripture reading for this morning comes to us from Luke chapter 2. We'll only read the first seven verses. Luke chapter 2. Hear now the word of the Lord. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Dear congregation, on this Sunday and on this Christmas morning, we'll look at this familiar passage once again as how the Lord Jesus was sent into this world. Now, the salvation of sinners is entirely God's work from the beginning to the end. And we see that even here in the birth of of Christ, how God directed everything from the beginning to the end perfectly according to His own purpose. God sent His Son into this world to restore lost sinners to Himself. And nothing was left up to chance. Nothing was left up to humans to finish off. And so it is also in the life of every person that the Lord saves. It is God who directs and who leads us to find this Savior who was born the Savior of sinners. And so for our theme this morning, it's a little longer than it was in your bulletin, our theme is God leads us to the birth of Christ. You can say the birthplace of Christ. God leads us to the birth of Christ. And in the first place, we'll see the path, the path that God leads us in. And the path is, first of all, a trying path. God leads His people, even though a path can be filled with trials. If you think of Mary, she visited her cousin Elizabeth. When she heard from the angel that Elizabeth was expecting, she she went with haste, she went with joy. But now that visit was over, and now she returned to Nazareth. And for us as well, some trips to visit family can be nice, can be exciting. You look forward to them, but there's other times when you really don't want to travel. The times when you would rather not travel. It can be a lot of work. It can be a burden. You have to pack everything up for the whole family. It can be busy at work, or it could be a bad, difficult time of year to travel. And so here we see only a short time after Mary comes back from visiting Elizabeth, she has to go on another journey. And this one's unplanned. Unplanned. 
And there's a lot of differences. The first trip, she went with haste, and she went willingly. There, there was a lot of joy in, in that trip. This time, it seems like there was no joy, no haste, and that it would be a difficult journey. It'd be burdensome. And most likely, they did not even want to go on this trip. But the foreign Roman government had required everyone to be registered, and that meant everyone had to be tested, and, and the house is ready. You wouldn't plan a trip for this time, would you? But also, it might, so it might, it might, it might, might be an uncomfortable trip for her. Maybe she rode on an animal if they had one, otherwise she would have to walk. And the distance from Nazareth to Bethlehem was about 145 kilometers, again, a, about a four-day trip. It was also a dangerous trip. So now, if you were Mary and Joseph, would you have any questions in your heart and mind? When the angel told Mary that she would be the mother of the Lord Jesus, she asked in faith, how can this be? And the angel told her, this is the almighty work of God. The Holy Spirit will overshadow you. And she believed, and she, she rejoiced in this. The angel told Mary, Mary, you are highly favored among, God, um, among women, favored by God, blessed among women. But at this time, it doesn't really appear that way. And it's very likely that there were questions in their hearts. And if, if God is favoring us, then why is all this happening this way? Because the reality of life seems so much different. Now she has to go on this long, dangerous, inconvenient journey, all because of the foreigners, the Romans, and for taxes. Am I really favored by God? Because to be blessed, we saw last time, means to receive the benefits of God. And you can ask, then, then where are they? Because I don't see them. Do you ever ask that question? When you look at your own life or look at your own country? Well, it's a trying path, but it's also a path filled with oppression, oppressive powers. But here we can also be reminded that God leads even though it appears that others are in control. Verse 1 says, And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. Here again, Luke uses those words, it came to pass, or could also be translated, it happened. Something happened that you did not expect or want. It's like you hear the news and, oh, it happened. A law passed, a law that doesn't seem to favor you at all. A decree went out from Caesar Augustus. Israel was in a difficult time, according to the prophecy. This was when the scepter had departed from Judah. They had no king of their own. This is a time they were again under foreign rule. And Caesar was the Roman emperor. His name was Otavian. And he was Caesar from 27 years before Christ to 14 years after. And he was the first to unite the whole of the Roman Empire into one large empire, which included Israel. His title Augustus even gave him religious power, religious authority. 
And so the Israelites were being suppressed in, in many different ways. And so now here this decree went out into all the world, it says. So that, that's a figure of speech. So all the world here refers to all the known world or all the Roman controlled area or everything influenced by the Roman world. And it was under their control, under their military power, and under his new administrative rule. And so verse 3 says, So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. And this really implies there's no other choice, is there? Everyone, so everyone went to his own city, willing or not. Joseph was from the house and lineage of David, and David was from Bethlehem. And so it seems like Joseph and Mary really have no control, no say in their lives, and it seems like nothing really is going for them. And sometimes that's a cry of God's people, everything seems to be against me. And if we have to gauge our own life, that's often how it seems, if we, if we look at only the circumstances. Joseph had to leave his work, marry her house. And again, would they have wondered, are we favored by God? Israel often asked this question, especially when they were in exile, and they even said, God has forsaken us. Would doubts have sprung up in their mind, oh, was that really an angel I saw? Was I not just dreaming? It seems like Caesar is the blessed one. He has the one, he has the power, he has the control, he has the wealth. But if we look closer, we can see this is a favored path, a favored path. God directs everything according to his decree and to his purpose. And for that reason, they are favored and blessed by God, because even as Romans says, all things work together for good to those who love God. God's favor is evident in their lives. And there's many ways they can count their blessings here. It's important for us to do as well, isn't it, when things seem to be going bad, that we look and begin to count the many blessings that God does give so Mary does not need to travel alone here on this trip. That's one of the blessings. Joseph here was with her. The angel had resolved this conflict that was in their hearts, in Joseph's mind, when he wanted to put her away privately. But the angel had removed, or God had removed that obstacle. And Mary here was still betrothed to Joseph, promised in marriage to her, to him, sorry, but especially God's promises were still with them. God had given Mary His Word before, and His promises before these difficulties came. And so often it is in, in, in the life of God's people that He gives them His Word, that He gives them His promises to, for you to hold on to and to guide you even when difficulties come. And it's with these promises that we can go forward in faith. Faith is something to be anchored onto. And so she could be assured that she was not abandoned or forsaken, but truly cared for by God, even in this trial. Only in the chapter before, Mary could sing of how, how the Lord had lift, regarded her lowly estate and, and lifted up the humble. God also told Israel in Isaiah 49, He said, can a mother forsake her sucking child? And there he said, yes, it's possible. Even a mother can, can forget her little baby 
But God cannot forget His people because He has them engraven in the palms of His hands. And here we can be sure that God would never forsake His own Son in the womb of Mary. But we also know that God's presence and favor does not come with all the pomp and the ceremony of, of, the, of, of earthly show, like the earthly kings. But God has chosen the weak things of this world to show the glory, His glory and wisdom so that we glory in God alone. So God makes it clear that, that this is all His doing. And despite all the circumstances that we face in this life, God will accomplish His purpose. And for, so for us, it is also a lesson that we need to learn to trust God even in the midst of all the trials, to, tr to, to trust His leading, to trust His guidance when the path in front of us seems unknown and difficult. And so where is God leading us here to? Well, He leads us to a place where He can reveal a Son to the world. And that's in the second place. We see the place. The second thought is the place. God leads us then to a very specific place. In verse 4, it says, Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. So Joseph, he travels from one small and insignificant village to another. Even, you could say to even a, a more insignificant village called Bethlehem. Nazareth was never once mentioned in the Old Testament. It seems to be an unknown village out of the way, and it would later even carry a, a stigma with it. To be called a Nazarene is to be despised. It, it's a negative name. Nathaniel said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Jesus would carry this name through His life and even to the cross when this was used as a title above him when he's crucified, Jesus of Nazareth. But Joseph was directed now to go to Bethlehem, another little town. It seems small, and yet it was very significant because Matthew says in 2 verse 6 that it is not at all the least. Not at all the least. This was, this was a city of promise. If you read in Micah 5, verse 2, it says, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel. This was the original hometown of David, but this was also the place where the Lord Jesus was to be born by promise. And so it's a village that would become well known. Even so much so that Herod went to the effort and the depravity to try and kill all the children under two years old, in, or all the boys anyway, in that area, to try to kill the Lord Jesus when he heard this prophecy. And it's in this remote village that Joseph and Mary had to come to be registered. Now, they would not have chosen this village himself. They would not have come here to have the Lord Jesus born of themselves. But here we see God had to direct everything, even the lives of His own people, to ensure that His will is done. And especially the work of His salvation through His Son, 
is not a work of men, but it's a work of God. It's not left up to us. If God did leave it up to us, we would never go to Him. We would never seek Him or we were, were to seek Him. We would never go to the right place. But this is where God had prophesied where Christ was to be born. And this is where God directs not only Joseph and Mary, but the whole world to make this happen so that His Son would be born in this place. But then we see it's also an unmistakable place. Not only does God lead us to this little town, but He leads us a little deeper into that town because there's only one Savior, one unmistakable Savior of sinners. Verse 6 says, and so it was, or it happened, that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. The time came, and providentially, by God's direction, this is where it happened. So that all of history, it was orchestrated, like the greatest symphony ever, ever directed, it was being played out right here. Here it happened. And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him there in the manger because there was no room for them in the end. Seems like the greatest event of history happens in the quietest corner of the world. Not even a place where the travelers to Bethlehem would, would really be walking by. Seems like that very moment no one could really witness and so with the tender love and touch of a mother, Mary wraps her son in swaddling cloths and lays him in the manger. This shows us something. The plain, ordinary swaddling cloths to wrap around this frail little human baby. It shows how, how he needed this warmth, this protection, this, this very basic necessities for human life. But that's all it was, the basic necessities and nothing more. These very simple clause show how the Lord Jesus was not only truly inhuman, fully human, flesh of our flesh and bone of our bones. He had all the same needs. He needed all the same care to protect Him even from the elements, to give Him the comfort and the safety of His mother but it also shows how Jesus voluntarily laid Himself down. He laid down His heavenly glory, and He did not use any earthly glory. He did not come to be wrapped in, in fine linens or colors of scarlet and blue and purple. You don't see any, any gold or silver embroidered on, on, on His sheets. Nothing more than what was absolutely necessary. And here we see such a great contrast between the earthly rulers and between Christ, the Savior of sinners. For the tax collecting is the epitome of selfishness and greed and all the money channeled to one sinner, whereas Christ came to give Himself a ransom for many. That even now He is giving Himself, pouring out His Holy Spirit upon His people. He came to clothe His people with the robes of righteousness, but He Himself was clothed in man-made strips of cloth, 
unmistakable humility. Last week when that snow fell, someone made the comment that even the white things look dirty. Even the bright white vehicles now look brown and dirty against that bright white snow that fell. And here, God is beginning to reveal the bright white purity of the righteousness of Christ. At once He fell into this earth, so to speak, it began to reveal how filthy and how dirty everything else in this world really is. Because later, even when Christ walked in this world, tax collectors would, would leave everything that they had. They once thought that the money they could get from Caesar to line their own pockets was what made them happy, but they left it all when they saw the beauty and the glory and the righteousness of Christ. And so this is where God placed His Son for you and I to see Him. Why? Well, it begins to show us that the Lord Jesus emptied Himself to become nothing. It begins to show that He would be touched, be able to be touched with the feelings of our infirmities because He suffered the same things. He was tempted in every way like as we are yet without sin, fully human. And it begins to show how He would live that life perfectly without sin, to the glory, to the honor of God, a life that we could never live. But then Mary here lays Him in a manger, in a feeding trough. Not only is this very simple and very plain, even you might even be, might say it's beyond human treatment. He didn't even get a proper crib, and yet it shows us how approachable and accessible this Savior can be. His name would be called Jesus because He will save His people from their sins. Because if a new king was born to Herod or another, in a palace, only a few select people would be able to see Him. They'd have to be clean. They'd have to be respectable. You'd probably have to be of, of a high rank to be able to be, get close enough to see this new prince. But here is the prince of peace born in the city of David, born in the lowest possible place. He can be compared to the poorest and the least in his kingdom. Here is a baby in ordinary clothes. Here is not too fancy. You don't dare to come close to him. Here is... He's not hidden that you can't find him. He's not behind iron bars or, or guards of soldiers. You don't have to cross fancy tiled floors or you're afraid to get dirty. But here, even a child could walk up to find this manger and peer in. And then you hear Jesus' voice saying, Suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not. From his very birth, the Lord Jesus is showing that everyone young and old, can come to Him. The manger lets us see that Jesus is accessible and unmistakable to find. He's the only baby in the manger. You can't miss Him. If you walk through that town and you see the baby in the manger, you know that's Him. If you stand there on the fence, if there was one, children, you can, you can look, you could see Him, you know for sure that that was the Son of Promise. 
Because that's how the angels directed the shepherds. You, this will be the sign to you. You'll find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in the manger. These shepherds believed, and they, they, they ran, they went with haste, and they found the babe lying in the manger. And that made them return and glorify God for what they'd heard and seen. And even though Jesus is not in the manger now, we still have this picture. We still have this word. He's now in heaven, but this shows that he, from the beginning He was the approachable Savior. He came for sinners, for us to find Him. And that leads us lastly in the third place to the person. God leads us and directs us here to His only begotten Son so that we'll believe on His name. As Mary laid her firstborn child there in the manger, God leads us through the words of Scripture to peer in to that manger to see who's lying there. This is Jesus, the Son of the living God. And you say, why is He there? Why did God direct all of history so that His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, would be born and laid in a manger? Why is it unmistakably recorded for us here in Scriptures? Well, God sends His Son to seek and to save sinners. Sinners who left God, sinners who rejected God, sinners who would never go back to God and could not find their way back to God. Sinners who were born under the curse and under the judgment of God. But God placed Christ here in a manger so that we can vividly see that even the children can picture and remember where He was laid. So we can see how Christ laid down His glory from heaven left the presence of His own Father and of the angels that, that, that sing of His glory so we can see how He humbled Himself to be conceived in the womb of Mary, to be born of a virgin, to be born under the penalty of death, under the curse and the wrath of God, so that we can see Him there in that little manger as a tender little baby boy who came into the sin-cursed world, the Son of God who created this world, laid in a manger entrusted to the care of His mother so that we can begin to see Him, that we can begin to follow Him, so that we can begin to identify with Him as He walks through this world as a real human being as He suffers as the despised one even here in the manger, neglected, rejected, pushed to a corner of the world. And then as you see Him grow and as you see Him walk in this world, we can identify with Him. As you can feel His pain as He is scourged and crucified, as He walks to the cross bearing our sins. so that we would see and recognize that it is on this child who was born in the manger that the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Born to die. 
born to die under the wrath and judgment of God, born to die for and because of sinners like you and me. But at the same time, that life of the Lord Jesus would be in such stark contrast to this world, almost like that, that snow that glistens white in contrast to anything in this world. He would live without sin. He would obtain that pure, the pure robes of righteousness for sinners, even while he wore the swaddling cloths. And all this so that we would hear his voice. That as he walked in this world, he says, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Because you're seeking to make yourself as white as that snow yourself, and you can't. It is so that we can see Jesus, who was sent to save his people from their sins. So that we can see that God sent this Jesus into the world. So that his word says that whoever believes on him should not perish, but have eternal life. And from the cradle to the cross, we can see how the Lord sent him for that one purpose. That Jesus is God's salvation for sinners who have rejected him and who have left him. That he came to be a human so he could pay for the penalty of our sins. So that now that whoever calls on him, on the name of the Lord, on the name of this Lord Jesus Christ, shall be saved. And so the reason the Lord Jesus leads us in the Scriptures, but also in our life, to find this Savior in the manger is so that you will trust in Him for the forgiveness of your sins and for eternal life. The reason that God leads you in your life in paths that you do not understand, like He did with Mary and Joseph, is so that He would lead you to find this Lord Jesus where He is able to be found. Not in the places that you expect or want Him to be found, not among the great things of the world, but along the, un the mistakable, unmistakable word and His promise, often in a despised thing. He leads you here so that you begin to esteem the reproach of Christ greater than the riches and the treasures of all the world, like Moses said. Greater than all the treasures of the wealth, tax wealth that Caesar had. That this little child is worth more to you than anything this world has to offer. But he also leads us here to this child to show you that you do not travel alone. He came to be despised, to be rejected, to live a life alone, you could say, no place to put his head. Mary had Joseph, but Christ sends his Holy Spirit to be with his people that they would never leave nor forsake them. Once more, the Lord, to show us that he was born in this humble manger, in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, so that we can know that we can still approach him now, as he in that very same person sits enthroned in glory in heaven, no longer a child in a manger, but now the exalted King and Savior 
of sinners, but ever still so unmistakable and so approachable for all sinners that whoever sees him and comes to him shall find life everlasting. So when you see this child this season, maybe not stop there at the manger. Maybe not stop only at the idea of a child born, but that it would lead us to know him, to follow him to his cross, to follow him to the glories of heaven, to follow him to find forgiveness and eternal life for every one of us today. May this be the Lord's work among us even today. For his name, amen.